0: I guess i get to do the sermon i asked george a while ago if he's going to do the sermon i told him i got a book here he could read I got, a, I got a lot of pages here maybe i can get through it but i will kind of keep my eye on the clock and i can cut here and there um, anyway uh, I, I talked to daryl uh, before he left to go up to montana i said I have a two-part sermon, so today you get to hear the first part, Why Study the Bible? And the second part will be, next week, How to Study the Bible First. So it's it, it worked out good for me because this whole sermon and my my going through it, I, I felt I pretty well got corrected quite a bit. <laughs> anyway, it's good for all of us. I remember back when I first came into the church in... Uh, 1962, um, there was a man on there on the TV, or the radio rather, someone out of XEG or, or XELO, I forget which one. I heard both of them most of the time. Anyway, he, he, uh, piqued my interest because he said, don't believe me, believe the Bible. And I said, well that's the first, that's, that's a really a first for me because I was always told, uh, believe what the preacher said. Or believe your dad or your mother. And and those are things you you have to do. But sometimes they've been confused too. So it it sparked my interest and it caused me to start listening every week. Um, he, He talked about a lot of things that were happening in the world and he related them to the Bible. And he said, don't believe me. Don't believe the Bible. Well, I go then... When I started this, I got to thinking of uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, where Christ was in this turmoil where Satan was trying to destroy him, told him uh, that he could change rocks into food. And Christ said, that's not what it's all about. You know, he was paraphrasing it. Christ said, it's not about food that you eat. We're, we're having a spiritual battle here. And you're trying to convert it over to physical things. He said in Matthew 4, four, it's not written that man should live by food alone. Well, Satan was trying to emphasize the fact that's all you need to keep alive is to eat some food. And he went on to say, but you are to live by every word that comes from God. Well, what is that? I asked myself that question because Herbert Armstrong was bringing that out from time to time. What do you mean, live by God's Word? Well, God's Word is what's in the Scriptures, in the Bible. And so he said, don't believe me, believe in the Bible. Well, I had to fight with that a little bit because uh, he said I should keep Saturday. What? We know Saturday's a work day. Sunday's the day you're supposed to keep and, and honor God. He said, no, it's the Sabbath. And he goes through a lot of scriptures on that. And he said, but you don't have to believe me. You've got a Bible there. Take it off the shelf. Blow the dust off. Open it up. See what's in it. Don't believe me. What does the Bible say? What does God have to say? Well, I started doing that as many of you did. And um, when we first came in, we were pretty energetic after we finally got the picture that there's more to life than the food and and everything else we do. But what God has to say, so there's more to our life than physical things. Let's take a look at what David had to say about the Bible, and and that was important to me. I, when I read this, I said, "Wow! I remember reading that somewhere in the past." Well, I've been in the church now for a half a century. So, when I say somewhere in the past, that's a long time back. And it's easy to forget those things. But David said in Psalms chapter 12, um, yeah, Psalms chapter 12, David gives us an idea about the Bible. He said in verse 6 of chapter 12, the words of the eternal are pure words. So, whatever God has to say, that's pure, that's clean, that's, what's, that's what you need to get to. As silver is tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times. I know you've heard Daryl say this many times, but here David is saying it. David said that God's word is actually better than silver, and it's been purified. It has been so gone over, and God has sanctified it so much. It's better than than silver, and it's like you take silver when you're trying to get pure silver. They they fire it and they fire it and they fire it and they keep taking the impurities out. So he's saying that we need to go to God's Word and keep taking the impurities out of our life. In the Good News Bible it says the promises of the eternal can be trusted. They are as genuine as silver refined seven times in the fire. So that's God's Word. That's how... Purified how great God's word is. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be going to the scriptures and and going over them. And when you find a flaw, you take that you, you work on that flaw and you work on the next flaw. But how do you do that? You have to keep going and reading the scriptures. Psalms 119, in the book of Psalms continuing, David speaking in a hundred and Psalm 119, verse 44, so it's pretty far into the book of Psalms. David said, the righteousness of your testimonies are everlasting. So anything that God says, his testimonies, that those things that are told to us, he testifies to, are everlasting. They're not, they're not temporal, they're continual. Giving me understanding and I shall, tr- I shall live. So he was living by what God said. For we know that these things were written thousands of years ago, but they were written for us today. So can, can you say, can I say that the righteousness of God's testimony? So we have the testimonies that are written in here of different things that, that They are, they, they give me understanding. They give me the understanding and I shall live by them. So they, that's why David was a, was one that God said he's a man after his own heart because David was trying to live after what God had to say. Again in 119, this time go on to 151 and 152. David saying, Thou art near, O eternal, and All your testimonies are truth. The things that God says, that's where the truth is. Concerning your testimonies or the evidence or the witness of your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. They're not just uh, today, or as some people say. uh, some Some of the religions of the world say, well, you don't have to live by the Old Testament. No, it says here. David said, "They are forever; they don't quit." We have to know what they're saying, though, and that's one reason why we need to study the Bible to find out what they have to say. In John seventeen seventeen, Christ's final prayer before he executed him. John seventeen seventeen, Christ said, "Sanctify them," talking to the Father. He said, "Look, Father." Sanctify them. Who? Those that he called out. Those that have been called and selected. Sanctify them through the truth. And then he said, Christ affirmed that your word is truth. God's word is truth. Well, who is that? That's you and me and those that God has called out. Uh, Herbert Armstrong was used to call many people. A lot of those are not here today. That's who I called out once. It's the church. In Psalms, again, back stay there in Psalms, in chapter 19. Psalms chapter 19. Chapter, Psalm 19, verse 10. I mean, 7 better. Verse 7. I... I I struggled. I had to put this stuff out so I could see. When, I was, when we were singing the Psalms, I couldn't see half the words. So I got them big enough where I could see them. It says here in verse 7 of Psalm 19, the law of the eternal is perfect. So we can't look down and say, there's a problem there. No, God's laws are perfect. Converting the soul. The testimonies of God are sure. Making wise the simple, those that read the scriptures, that makes you wise. The statutes of the eternal are right and rejoicing the heart. So if you're reading the scriptures, you can, you can be happy because it tells you a lot of what's happening in the future, what happened in the past, what's happening today. The commandments of the eternal are pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the eternal is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of God are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold. You know, if we, if our heart is to do God's way, our heart must be then to desire the scriptures more than the physical things around us. Gold representing the wealth of the world, the wealth that we want to live by. But God says His Word is more precious than any gold that you can get physically because gold will only last for a short period of time. And if our life is wrapped around the gold, then our life is only going to last a short period of time. Yes, then pff, much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. So, God's Word is something that we should be desiring. We should want to read it. We should want to spend our time in, in reading God's Word. Go to Second Timothy 2. Second Timothy 2, we're seeing what God wants from us. So, God has set up standards. Sometimes we don't follow those standards, but they are God's standards. So here in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, God says to study. He says to put your heart and mind and attitude into studying, finding out what it takes. You know, when you go to high school or grammar school or college, you're required to study to learn a specific course. Well, here God is saying you are to study to show yourself approved unto God. So our purpose in studying it isn't just to learn a trade or some knowledge about something. It's to show ourselves approved to God. So if we're not studying, how can we say we are approved to God? Approved what? What He wants done? A workman that needs not be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Why would God say you should study? To show yourself approved as a workman that needs not to be ashamed. What do we been ashamed of? The fact that we're, somebody comes to us and asks us a question of God and we can't answer it. We've been in the church. We've sat and heard sermons and sermons. In my life, I've heard almost 4,000 sermons. And if I can't answer a question, then I can be ashamed, can't I? Because I should know those things. And how can you know those things if you don't study the Bible? That's important. That's very important. Rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, he says you've got to study, but you've got to do more than study. You've got to be able to put the scriptures in order so that they make sense. Last week, Daryl showed an example of that through the sermon, how he read Isaiah and then he moved to Zechariah and he showed how they fit together. So that's what studying does. It allows you to put things together so you understand so you are rightly dividing the word of truth. In Isaiah now Isaiah 9 Isaiah 28 verse 9 Isaiah 28 9 uh, here Isaiah asks the question. He says, "To whom should he teach knowledge, and to whom shall he make to understand the doctrines, the, the things that God wants you to know? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast." So these are people in the church. We're taken away from that, and we've been given opportunity in in uh, Hebrews. Five. It says Paul came to teach them more important things, but they weren't ready. They were still one have milk. Here, here Isaiah says he came to to give them the right doctrine, and they had to come to those that are drawn away from breast milk. For he said precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line here a little and there a little. So that's how you put the right doctrines together. It's how rightly dividing the word of truth by putting precept to precept, here a little and there a little. That's important for us to do that. So here in Timothy, we're Timothy 2, verse 15, it says again, a workman... That needs not be ashamed. So, you have to be a workman. You know, Christ said, talked in one of his parables about the house built on sand and a house built on a rock. When you build a house, when you build a building, there are certain things you have to do first. You have to put a foundation in. You don't start with the roof. You don't start with the bathroom or the kitchen. Now you start with a foundation, and so that's part of our responsibility is to be a workman, one who gets out and puts the effort into it. That means as a workman doing the work of God, that means you're going to read what's in the book, and there's a lot in this book, a lot in it. Saw so in Philippians two verses twelve and thirteen, Philippians two twelve and thirteen. Wherefore, my, brother, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul said, I mean, yeah, Paul said to the Philippians, work out your own salvation, not somebody else's salvation. It's easy to be a person that can look and say, I see this person going awry or doing something wrong. No, Paul said, your responsibility is to work out your own salvation. That means you have to do the studying. You have to do the work. It's more than just sitting down taking notes or listening to a sermon. And then maybe writing down notes and sometimes you go over it. I looked at some of the notes of my, both my wives and, you know, I can't make heads or tail out of them. But if I was to write the notes, if I put the things down that were important in my desire to learn God's way, then I am working out my salvation. I am doing it. It is me. And the same holds true with you. Nobody else is going to work out your salvation. You can't get into God's kingdom on the coattails of the minister or your wife or your husband or your kids. It just won't work out that way. God wants you to put out a lot of effort. You have to work at it and work at it and work at it. Again, in Proverbs thirteen verse four. Proverbs thirteen verse four. You can write these things down. I'll read them because I have a lot of material. I'm going to skip a lot, but I'm going to. But you know, you can look at it later. You go back tonight, tomorrow, this week, and read it. Proverbs thirteen verse four. Four. The soul of the sluggard desires and has nothing. What he's saying is, Solomon was saying, if you are not willing to put out the effort and the energy, you're a sluggard. And you're going to wind up empty-handed. But the soul of the diligent... So here's a command by God. If you're diligent, the soul of diligent, shall be made fat. In the easy to read version, that last part reads: "Those who work hard get plenty." So, the harder you work, the more study you put in, the deeper the understanding you have, and you're going to wind up with plenty—eternal life. That's the plenty. Christ speaking to them, he said, "It sometimes it's hard." In Luke 13, says, "Hard." to get into the kingdom of God. Because unless you're working at it, you're not going to make it. He said you need to strive to enter into the right gate. You know, you gotta effort, you've got to put forth something more than just coming to father services or working and doing your own thing at home. So it takes a lot. We have to strive, we have to work hard to enter into eternal life. Just wanting to to be a part of God's kingdom, just wanting to be the bride of Christ, isn't going to cut it. It will not you will not make it with just having the desire. You're going to have to search, pull out, work diligently to, to obtain that. In Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. Not just part of them. This whole book was given by the inspiration of God. In Second Peter 1, 21 and 22, it says, Know this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. So here in Timothy, uh, Paul said all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. In Peter, it says, knowing that no prophecy was of the Scriptures of of any personal uh, understanding. They didn't draw these things out of their own mind. They didn't write a book like a lot of people write books and stuff out of their own visions that they have. For the prophecies came not, verse twenty-one. The prophecies came not of old times by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, what's in the Scripture, and whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, and even today in in sermons, this is inspiration of God. He inspires these things. We ask it even in prayer. Help us to, to understand and, and be inspired by what's said that we can be better like God. So First Timothy 16, I mean 316 says all scripture is inspiration of God. Every part of it. And, there, and it has a reason that God does that. He didn't do it just half a stance. He plans everything. In fact, God knows the end from the beginning. If you look at a computer program and you ask the computer program, do you know what the end of the program is? Yes. And he knows it from the beginning. What's in between takes a lot of work. There's a lot of things that have to be done. So here it says that all Scripture given by inspiration to God and is profitable. So the Bible is profitable to you for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. For the purpose of finishing unto all good works. So all of it is so that the work and effort we put into it, it will profit to God. So I've got, I've got three points. The first point. And why you study the scriptures? For doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. The instruction that God gives to us. So, the first point of why you want to study the Bible is to learn what it is God wants you to do. And what He has set up is this is the criteria that you have to go by day by day in order to be a part of the kingdom of God. So, He gives us doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 14. Paul is saying, until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So here is Paul was telling Timothy, give attention, you know, spend attention to the reading of the scriptures, to exhortation, expounding on them, and to the doctrines that are there. So it's important. So the doctrines, the first point is, Study. look into it it's going to tell you what God has set as the criteria to, a part, to be a part of the bride of Christ neglecting not the gift that is in you which was given you by the presbytery by the laying on of hands and of the presbytery so you know what some of the doctrines are again uh, Hebrews 11 I mean Hebrews Six, one, and two. There's there's some of the doctrines of Christ, and there's many others besides that. But there's a listing of a few, and you can put it down. Matthew seven verse twenty eight, and it came to pass when Jesus had entered the entered these uh, had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. So. You want to know what some of the other doctrines are? What did Christ teach? What was his teaching? One of them was stay away from the doctrines of the scribes and Pharisees because they were not the true ones. So how do you know what the doctrines of Christ are if you're not reading the scriptures? How do you know what the doctrines of scribes and Pharisees are? Because they don't go back and tell you what's in the scriptures. So you have to be able to get out there and read the scriptures to find out exactly what's in them. Matthew 4, I mean Mark, Mark 4, 1 and 2. Mark 4, 1 and 2. And he began, uh, and he began to teach by the seaside, and these were gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat down in the sea, and the whole multitude by the seashore. And he taught them many things by parables and unto them uh, in his doctrine. So he used parables. But there was a reason for him using parables. But that's the way he taught a few parables. In Psalm 33, we sang that a minute ago. The Psalm thirty three for the words of the eternal is right, and all the works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of God. By the words of the eternal were the heavens made, and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. That's that's a doctrine. God created everything. Once we understand that, we grasp and understand that, then we'll have the right understandings. Point two. Proof or rebuke. You know, proof of what we need to do so we read the scriptures to find out what's reproof, what we had to reprove, because sometimes we lost that. And um, I'm probably going to jump ahead here, but in in uh, Revelation, and to the Church of Ephesus, God said how good you people were, except for one point: you forgot. Your first love. You forgot the love that you had. So reproof would be going back and reproving what you originally had. And sometimes over the years, it's easy to slip by. You know, when I came in, I was told that we would be going to a place of safety in 72. And then it was said, no, 82. Now it's 2023. We're still not at a place of so there's a long period of time there. And in 1971 and 72, I saw people walk away because they were discouraged. They forgot their first love. We can't do that. We can't go off and think, well, I've got all the time in the world. Uh, I had one man tell me once, he said, you know, Nelson, uh, I, I, I wanted to get my son to be a a number one baseball player. And so I know where the church is. Well that was that was back in nineteen seventy-one. Where is he today? That's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. And he's willing to put aside God's word. He forgot what he was originally brought in there for. 2 Timothy 2 um, Preach the word the instant in season out of season reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap To themselves, teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. So we have to be very careful. God says that unless you reprove, unless you go back there and rebuke, and I know it's like the third point is correction. But review and correction are pretty much the same, except here you're getting, you, you already knew it and are not doing it. And that's what's important. And that's why we have to somehow, some way, focus on what we've lost. In Revelation 2, uh, it says, recapture to, uh, to the church of Ephesus. Go back and find the first law. Isn't it sort of like chapter 3 when he said that you are a Laodicean? They must have become Laodicean too because they forgot where they came from. Proverbs 6, verse 23. Proverbs 6, 23. For the commandment is a lamp. So when you have a difficulty, you can go back and read the commandments. Read all ten. Read Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. Those are where the commandments come from, from God, who through Moses. And know everybody says these are Moses' laws. No, they're God's laws. And His commandments are a lamp. They light the way that you have to go. And the law is a light. And reproof and instruction are the way of life. So when we sit into a sermon and we are said that you look like you're going the wrong direction there and you need to make those changes, that's the light. That's the light that says this is the way. Walk in this way. In Proverbs 15.10, correction is grievous. Correction is grievous unto them that forsake the way. And he that uh, hates reproof is going to die. So, you know, that's pretty scary. If you don't want to be correct, you don't want to be reproved for the things when you have known to do something right and you're not doing it right, um, the end result is death. So that should be pretty scary for any of us. Ephesians 5, 11-13. Ephesians 5, 11-13. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. So you don't want to go out here and start uh, fellowshipping with people who have walked away from God, first of all. Most of these are talking to the church, so we're talking about people that were in the church, and you sit down there and, and have an argument with somebody who's walked away. You can try to reprove them, but they probably will be pretty hostile about that. For it is a shame even to speak of the things which are done in secret. We're going to be careful of finding people and thinking that they're doing wrong. we have going to be very careful about that because it is a shame to do that. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light and whatsoever does make manifested is the light. So when somebody has gone off, we don't talk about all their... We're not going to talk about all their mistakes. But we need to pinpoint the right way. Whereas Peter... I mean, James again said, if you see a person, a brother, a sister, making a mistake, and you correct them, you show them, you point them, rather, well, not so much correct but you point them... You point them in the right way, and they change. You save the soul. So, reproof is helping somebody, pointing them in the right direction. If they've gone wrong, you want them to do right. You got to point them in the right direction. Third point is correction. Again, in Proverbs three, verse eleven, my son, despise not the chastening of the eternal. And neither be weary of his correction. Don't, don't take it. You know he loves you, so you don't get angry and mad like a, you know like a, a child when you give them correction. They get up frustrated and get angry and mad and stomp off. For whom the eternal loves, he corrects, even as a father. Um, of the son whom he is delighted in. So, it says as, as, a, as a physical person, we have had children. We correct our children. We should do it because we love them. I know, as a parent of eight, that sometimes you correct them because they frustrated you. Or they're not they're not fully aware of the same things you are and so you get frustrated to the point where you you correct them wrongly but here God doesn't do that he he loves us and so when we make a mistake and he corrects us it's because he loves us and he says he corrects all that he loves it's 15:10 um I'll read that uh, Jeremiah five three through four. Jeremiah five three through four. O Lord, are not your eyes upon the truth? You have stricken uh, stricken them, but they have not uh, they have not grieved. You have con- consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. So when God corrected the people, people just... Don't, sometimes we just don't want to be corrected. So He corrects us because He loves us, and then we refuse the correction. I've seen that happen in cases where people made a vast mistake, and they were corrected for it, and they got so angry and so upset that they left the church. They allowed the correction to destroy them. They have made their faces harder than a rock and they have refused to return. That's happened so many times in the church because they make a mistake. A big mistake. A mistake that could be changed. First Corinthians, you know, the man made a mistake. But Second Corinthians, he changed. You don't want to be a person that's not willing to take the correction and then not make the change. You take the correction, you look at it, you look in the scriptures to find out what's the right way and then you change. That's what happened in Corinthians. But here it's talking about a person that was corrected for wrong and he gets he gets a hard head. I am not going to change. That's what it takes it to. That is Very, very grievous because the end result is eternal life, is eternal death. Therefore, I said, Surely those are poor. They are foolish. They are, for they know not the way of the eternal, nor the judgments of their God. God wants us to change. How do we know that? How do we know when we made a mistake and someone says, say Daryl say comes to you and says, you made a mistake and this is a real gravest mistake. You have a choice to make. You can say, I'm not going to change. Or you can take the book, Bible out, start reading through the Psalms. Start reading through Paul And then look for the light and try to find the right way of life. So then, I'm going to give you a couple of examples now. The first example of being corrected. And this is one that this person made the change. And that's Job. You know, Job, God said, was a man who feared God and he hated evil. He didn't do evil things. We know that the book of Job was all about his righteous, self-righteous attitude, and he went through it. But here in Job thirty-eight, verse one through four, here's a man that made a change. God speaking to to Job. Then the Eternal answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, "Who is this that deserves?" These, um, that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. So here God is correcting Job. Yeah, his father was self-righteousness, but he's correcting Job. So who who do you think you are? You've made all this work, this whole book, all this back and forth with your friends of them telling you you make a mistake and you're telling them they're making a mistake. And you're saying you're righteous and they're saying they're righteous. You know, back and forth. <coughs> and then God puts His finger in Job's face and says, Who's this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He said, Job, you there are things you just don't know. Things that you said. He said, then gird up your loins like a, like a man... For I will demand of you and answer you me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if you have the understanding. Well, we know Job didn't have that understanding. But he said later that I, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear. But now I see you. I repent. So here Job made the right decision. So his example, God corrected him, and he made the example of saying, I'm sorry, forgive me, help me, lead me. I have done a lot of things, but now I have heard of you, but now I see who you are. I see that I am a man. And you are God. And he asked for forgiveness. The second example is of a king in Israel. I've got two parts to this one. King Saul. King Saul was, was a uh, Benjamite. He was a very humble, very meek person. God made him king because Israel said we need a king. So God took a man, a young guy, and made him king. And he was blessed. But there came a point in time when they were at war. And Samuel said to uh, King Saul, "Uh, I will be here in three days. And we will ask God, for health and strength. And so as you read through 1 Samuel thirteen eight 8-14, I'm not going to read all that, but I'm going to just tell you what happened. So in that period of time, King Saul became impatient. Here he knew what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to wait for Saul to come to make a sacrifice. God. but King Saul was impatient. And what King Saul did was he went <laughs> made the sacrifice. And and Saul and Samuel said to King Saul later so Samuel showed up and said to King Saul what did what did you do? You have done Foolishly, God says through Samuel, for you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God. That was verse thirteen. Said you did foolishly, and because of that, the kingdom or the kingship will not last through all of your uh, family. And the second time, you know, he went to war. He didn't learn. He didn't listen. So he got corrected again the second time when he went to war. And God told them to take care of the Amalekites. All the men, women, children, animals, everything. Totally annihilate them. Did they do that? Chapter 15, verse 3. Now go and smite um, the Amalekites and utterly destroy uh, all that they have and spare them not but slay both men and women, infants, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. Everything. In verse 8, here he comes back. The war is over. They destroyed everything. They're there and Samuel says, what have you done? Well, I've done exactly what God said to do. Samuel says, or Saul said to Samuel, and he took Agag the king and the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Did he do what God said to him? No, he didn't do what he said to do. So Samuel said, Has the Lord so great a delight in burnt offerings? Because here, Saul said, We brought back the animals so we could sacrifice to God. He said, Is is it God's sight? Does he delight in the burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Eternal? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken unto the and to hearken then the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the eternal, he has also rejected you from being king. So God says that part of studying the Bible is the word correction. But Samuel told Saul, you did not learn it. In fact, you have done so rotten, so bad. You know, the third, third example of being corrected is in the church. God corrects His church. Revelation 2, I brought that out a minute ago, in verse 1, He corrected first, uh, the Ephesus Church, he corrected all the other churches. Look what he said to, um, in chapter 13. What he said to, uh, uh the latter church, or the one we're kind of in today, in chapter 13, uh, chapter 3, verse, th- uh, verse 14. And unto the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, says the Amen a faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold, but uh, but I would that you be hot or cold. So then because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So God even corrects the church Because we are not willing to listen to every point that he has for us. The fourth point is instruction in righteousness. God uses the scriptures to teach us his way. Proverbs 1, verse verse 2. To whom, to know knowledge. This is why we have the scriptures. We're here, Proverbs uh, 1, verses 1 and 2. The proverb of Solomon, the son of God, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to preserve the words of, of understanding. So, we, got, we get the Bible that we can learn to do the right things and to do it God's way. Verse 7 says, To the fear of the eternal is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, the Bible gives us the instruction, the wisdom of how to live and what to do in the way of life. In 19 verses 20 and 21, Proverbs 19, 20 and 21, hear counsel and receive instruction. Tell us, God inspired Solomon to write these things. that. Uh, you may be wise in the in the latter end, in our, our last days, in this time. If we listen to the right counsel and receive instruction, you receive instruction through the scriptures. Through the scriptures, Romans um, chapter ten. You heard this many times, many times. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 17. For whom shall call upon the name of the eternal? So those that call upon Him can be saved. How then shall they call on Him of whom they have never believed? So ask the question. Paul asks the question. How can you call on God? How can you learn about God? And how can you do that if you've never had that opportunity to know. And how shall they believe on Christ, on the Father, of whom they have never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I've heard people here on this property say, we don't need a preacher. Well, that kind of contradicts what God has to say. So how will they do without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So we have preachers, we have people tell us these things because God sent them. And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel or the good news of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Who in the church, and there are a lot of people in the church who are not listening to the reports given to them. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the Scriptures give us the important things. They give us what we need to know. In the Bible, there are several things. There's the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, and the Bible it has everything. It tells us what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. If we look for it, if we want it, the good part. Galatians five, Galatians five, verse twenty two is the good that we can get out of the Bible. Galatians five, verse twenty two. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Isn't that good? Joy. That's great. Peace. which we all would like to have. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. That's the good of the Scriptures. And there's so much, 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 much more in it. The Bible has so much more of the good. But then, on the other hand, Galatians five nineteen through twenty two and First John two sixteen is the bad and the ugly side. That's the bad and the ugly side. You can find that in there too. You don't have to worry about whether you it's there or not. You just have to go and search the scriptures to find it. That's why you need to read those things. In John, First John two sixteen says. All that's in the world. So, it, in the scriptures, it tells you what's in God's government and what's in the world. So, it's a it's a thing that shows the difference between life and death. The two trees, as Herbert Armstrong used to talk about, life and death. All that's in the world is number one: the lust of the flesh. What do you do more of your life? What's the most important aspect of your life? Is it the physical things? Is it the TV? The internet? Is it who, who and what you're going to do for you? The lust of the eyes. I can't see enough. I've got to see Everything. I gotta look at everything. I gotta know everything. There was, I think, in one of the, of the um, um, um the guy that looks for all the treasures in the world and stuff. Where the, the German lady there in the, I think it was the, um crystal skull, uh, she said, I need to know it all. I gotta know all of this, everything. I've got to see it, everything. I gotta see and know it all. She lusted for everything, and she wound up dying. So, is it what we can see that we have to see everything? Well, the most things that you need to see are in the Bible, and we need to want to see that. And the pride of life: "I am so good," you know, Revelation chapter three to the the Laodicean church. I know it all. What more do I need to know? when you don't know enough. So our pride and the Laodiceans people have a lot of pride. I don't I don't need to hear this again and again and again and again and again. Sometimes we think that. So Darrell goes over the fact that the church has to build a temple. We have to build a temple. You have to go to Jerusalem and Sometimes we get frustrated over that. And our pride comes as I've heard that before. Well, you heard you have to have the Passover. And I've heard that now for 50 years. You have to have the Days of Unleavened Bread. I've heard that for 50 years. And Pentecost and Trumpets and Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. Do I get frustrated and say, I don't need to hear that anymore? No. God repeats that and repeats it because He doesn't want us to forget it. And that same thing happens with the rest of our, our thoughts. With Laodiceans, you can't take that approach. It has to be joyous to you. You know, everything that you need to know in life to honor God, to do it God's way, is in this book. It's here. I've heard that in 1964. I've heard that in 1970. i heard that in 1980. i heard that in 1990 9, and 2000. And I hear it today. All that I need to know is in this book. And that this book was written to us. To the church, to those that God called out. You know, not everybody knows these things. I gave a sermon once on choice, and I thought I was right. And the other fellow that came to me said, We have no choice. And he thought he was right. Well, you know, we both were wrong, and we both were right. You have a choice if you have been called and been given God's Spirit. And if you haven't got God's Spirit, well, you don't have a choice. You're just going to go and die. But you will come back. And then you'll be given a choice. So, yes, he was wrong when telling me that I had no choice. I do have a choice. In the church, I have a choice to do it God's way. You have a choice to do it God's way. Because judgment is on the church. So, you have a choice of life and death. That's your choice. And it's all here. In Isaiah 15, last last scripture. Isaiah 15, speaking of Christ, speaking of Christ, and more. Isaiah 7, I'm sorry, 7 verse 15. Isaiah 7 verse 15. Here... Isaiah writes, Butter and honey shall he eat. Talking of Christ. He's going to be given butter and honey to eat for the purpose that he may know to refuse the evil and to choose the good. You know, God offered that to Adam and Eve, isn't he? He said, I give you all this garden, everything in here. It's the good. Animals were friendly. There's no, no hatred and stuff. But there's one thing you have to stay away from, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I will teach you the good of life. And then when the knowledge of evil comes along, we will refuse it. But he had to teach them. He wanted to teach them. In verse 22, And it shall come to pass, for the abundance of milk they shall, shall, uh, they shall give them. He, speaking of Christ, shall eat butter. For butter and honey shall everyone that, uh, that is left in the land will eat butter and honey. So that they will all know to choose good. And refuse the evil. But God wants to teach us those things. It's here in the book. In this book. Life. The two trees. Life and death. Peace and happiness. It's all here. It's whatever you need to know. It's here. Do you want to know it? How much do you want to know? It depends on you. It's up to you. It's not up to your husband, your wife, or your children, or the minister, or the church. What you learn of God is what you learn. If you're the workman, God says you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it's all here. It's in this book. Are you... Ready for life, or death, or peace, or joy? It's all here. It's in the book. It's up to you to utilize what's here. Okay, that's it. We'll take our hymn book and we'll close by singing another song with us.